I don't know about you guys, but man, lately I have just really been struggling, I guess is the word I would use with my emotions. Just so many things going on because you're just frustrated about things you have little to no control over, things that you wish were different, things that you want to see just kind of over so we can get back to some sort of rhythm. And it's just caused in me, and I don't know about you, but in me it's just been like, a, I feel like I've experienced the full gamut of emotion. I feel like I've been really angry. I've been super feeling like optimistic, like, oh yeah, maybe, oh no, okay. And then I may have bouts with, you know, just sadness and grieving and I may just, you know, get borderline just real funky and like just not... Uh, not really thinking straight because when you get really emotional and all your emotions are kind of uh, just in a flurry, you're not really thinking really straight and you're really not in the best position to make the best decisions when your emotions are all over the place. Have you ever made an impulse purchase before? Anybody? Um, oh, a few of you are willing to admit it. Wow, we have some honest folks in the room. It's going to be a good message today. Um, if we're starting off honest, yeah, I've definitely made an impulse purchase. I remember when my wife and I first got married, um, 19 years ago, we made a lot of impulse purchases, and then we got it all fixed, and we never do it um, anymore. No, I'm kidding. Um, we, we still, you know, at, at times you have that buyer's remorse, or, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have spent that money on that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. And we've all kind of experienced that. Uh, in the movie Star Wars, I remember that Obi-Wan Kenobi told Luke Skywalker when he was first learning to use the Force, he said, he said, Luke, trust your feelings. Trust your feelings, Luke. That's horrible advice. That's like really, really, really junky, bad advice because your feelings will lie to you, right? Your feelings will lead you on a path that's not the healthiest path because our emotions, when they're in the driver's seat, it's like that story that Jesus told about the wise man building his house on the rock and the foolish man building his house on the sand. The foolish man who built his house on the sand, when the storms came... When it came time to see if the house he had built was going to be able to withstand the pressures, it fell flat on the ground. Why? Because the sand is not settled. It's moving. It's always shifting. It's always changing. Have you ever built something you were really proud of in the sand, like a sandcastle or some sort of sculpture, you know, and you were like, wow, I've spent a lot of time building that or digging that hole or whatever, and then here comes the tide and boom, it's gone because that sand it's shifting, it's moving, just like our emotions. Our emotions are always shifting. Our emotions are always moving. But yet at the same time, God gave us emotions. So we can't say, let's unplug and let's all be robots and not be emotional people either. So there's like a balance here we have to learn, that we have to grow in maturity. We have to anchor our emotion and we have to learn how to do that. Emotions are good, but they can become unhealthy without wisdom. Knowledge is good, but it is nothing without love. Do you remember the story of the church in the book of Revelation chapter 2, the church of Ephesus? Let's just flip over there in Revelation chapter 2 and let's reread that because I think it's really relevant to where we are in our world today in Revelation chapter 2. Remember, Jesus is showing John this vision, and John's writing this vision down, and he's writing a letter 
to seven different churches and he writes to this church in Ephesus and he's talking to them about their current state and he's gonna tell them you're doing some things good and then he's gonna tell them you're doing some things eh, not really so good so Revelation chapter 2 let's read verse 1 through 7 to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands I know your works, your toil, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So he tells the church in Ephesus, you guys are doing a few things really, really well. You guys are passionate. You guys are, are, are full of passion uh, to be sure that you are properly discerning the truth. You want to be right. And that is a great passion to have, to want to be right. They are people who are hungry for knowledge. They're people who want to grow in knowledge. They want to grow in understanding. And they want to make sure that they're weeding out false teachers. They can't stand false teaching. That's what Jesus tells this church. You guys hate the works of the Nicolaitans, these people who are trying to sway others away from the gospel. You guys are holding fast to the truth. I know how you've been patiently enduring. You're doing really well in all of these areas. But he says there's one thing, even though you've got knowledge, even though you've got good discernment, there's one thing you've missed in your discernment process. There's one thing you've missed in your pursuit of truth. There's one thing you've missed in your pursuit of making sure that you're right and you're handling things correctly. You actually left your first love in the process because knowledge has the tendency to also mislead because knowledge can be something we become very puffed up with. And we actually forget that we're loving God because we, come, we become more in love with being right and proving that we are right, that we miss out on loving God ourselves. Like, that's a pretty big one to miss, don't you think, loving God? And out of the seven churches that Jesus has John write these specific instructions and corrective measures to, Ephesus is the only church out of the seven that gets the ultimatum, if you don't fix this, you're in danger of having your lampstand removed. Your legitimacy as a church is in question because Jesus said in John 13, 35, that by this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So love is key. Love is important. Knowledge is good, but you can't have knowledge apart from love. Knowledge apart from love leads to pride, leads to arrogance, leads to us feeling like we're superior and we miss out on loving God, which also means that if we're not loving God, we're probably not loving other people very well either, and we're probably not doing a very good job of that. So there's a lot of things at play here, I think, in our world, a lot of things at play in our day and age. There's a lot of things happening in our current climate. 
We're seeing people just all over the place with their emotions, and they're not making good choices because people are just being charged with their emotions, and their emotions are leading and guiding them into bad decisions. But then you've got another group of people who they know a lot, they're really smart, they're discerning well, but man, they're just not loving people very well. And I think both are equally dangerous when they're not anchored in the things that they need to be anchored in, and those things are love and wisdom. Because emotion and knowledge must be properly anchored, or we will do damage and be fooled into thinking we're doing good. When you are emotionally charged and you feel that passion and you feel that emotion, I got to do something. I want to do something. I feel this passion, this emotion. If it's not anchored in wisdom, then you're going to think you're doing good, but you're actually going to be causing a lot of damage. I think there's a lot of people in our world who think that they're doing good because they're full of passion, but they're causing a lot of damage. And then there's the other side of the coin that is a little less obvious because it's not as zealous. The other side is that there's people who have a lot of knowledge. They can discern. They can see error. They can see, man, there's, there's things wrong with all of this. There's things wrong that aren't being handled correctly. And they get so, so full of knowledge and so full of discernment that it changes and slides into pride and criticism. Next thing you know, they begin to get hard in their hearts. And now they're just uber critical of anyone and everything. And unless you think my way, unless you reason my way, unless you rationale my way, then you're foolish and you just don't know any better. And I just feel sorry for you or I think you're stupid or I'll alienate you because I think I'm smarter than you. Those two sides of the coin are at play in extreme measures in our world today. And love and wisdom anchor knowledge and emotion. That's your bottom line. So if you want to help me preach today by sharing this on social media, share this. Love and wisdom anchor knowledge and emotion. These are the anchors because we need to be balanced because emotions aren't bad. We can't say don't be zealous, don't be passionate, don't care for a cause, don't, don't, don't go out and, 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 and have that feeling and that desire to want to see things change. We can't just disconnect completely from those feelings. But we also can't disconnect completely from being discerning and being wise and making sure that we're uh, rightfully looking at things and, and learning and listening and, and growing in wisdom and the things that we need to know to navigate the world that we live in. We need both. Emotions are good. God created emotions. Let's not throw them out. Amen? I see over and over again where God shows us the beauty of our emotions by talking about the joy we're supposed to have in the Lord, the, the, all of the, the, the things that we're to experience and how we're supposed to be glad in our hearts because of what the Lord has done. He wants us to experience those things. Even godly sorrow is good. Even weeping with those who weep is good. All of these things are good, but they don't get to drive the ship. They don't get to be in the driver's seat because a lot of times they're unhealthy. So I just shouldn't be led by emotions, but it also just shouldn't be led by what I know. There's a discernment that needs to happen somewhere in between, and we need to have those things anchored to be healthy. And love and wisdom will anchor knowledge and emotion. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then we're going to turn right over to Proverbs 9. So if you kind of want to find both, 1 Corinthians 13 and then Proverbs 9, it'll help you get there just a little bit quicker as we're going to read both of those and look at these things individually. 1 Corinthians chapter 
13 and verse 1. Now remember, the Apostle Paul, just so we can keep context here, he's addressing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about how the gifts of the Holy Spirit are good, and it's good to desire them, and God wants to use you, and God wants to equip you, but it doesn't matter how gifted you are or what gift the Holy Spirit has given you, if you don't have love, it's just, it's just useless. And so this is the principle, this is the grounding thing that he's teaching us about those gifts and about uh, love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, if I understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give, all, oh, if I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Man, whoa. So if I have a spiritual gift to speak in tongues, if I have a spiritual gift to, to uh, prophesy, if I have a spiritual gift of knowledge and interpretation, if I have a, 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 a spiritual gift of faith to remove mountains, or if I have a spiritual gift of supernatural just generosity and this calling to offer my body up uh, as a martyr for the cause of Christ, but I'm not loving people, it's all nothing. What? That's pretty intense. This shows us how important love is because the next thing he says is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It begins to describe love in the next few verses. And he talks about how all these gifts of the Spirit are great, but one day they're not, they're not going to be needed. They're not going to be useful anymore because we're going to be with Jesus and we don't need all of those things. But even when we're with Christ forever and eternity, we're still going to have love. That's still going to exist. That's still going to be around. And so love is so important for us to understand. It is grounding us as Christ followers. Because if we can do all of these spiritual things, if we check all the spiritual boxes, but we don't have love, we're just like the church in Ephesus. We're just like that group of people who they know a lot. They're really smart people. Man, they're discerning. They're calling out false teachers. They're, they're right on a lot of things, but they forgot to love God in the middle of their pursuit of being right. Let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs 9. And let's start reading Proverbs 9 in verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight." He's talking here about us going to war over things, correcting people, trying to fix things. And our knowledge, he says, listen, if you're trying to correct someone who already has this attitude, this arrogance, and they're already a scoffer, man, you're, you're actually heaping upon yourself abuse. Are you seeing this? Are you getting this? Because I, I, can, I can make it a little bit more understandable. Okay, I'll do that. All right, since you asked me to. 
since you begged me to, if you get into Facebook arguments with people over things that they already have their mind made up about, you're actually hurting yourself, not them. Does that help a little bit more? You get into social media wars, you get into text wars, you get into arguments with family members who already don't think this way or who already aren't healthy and grounded in love and in wisdom, you're not really helping them by arguing with them. You're only hurting yourself. So all that anger you feel, all that frustration, guess what? That's your reward and that's what you brought upon yourself. That's what Proverbs is saying. Don't reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. So what are we supposed to do to the scoffer? Are we just supposed to just ignore them, leave them alone, go, oh, well? No, we're supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to love them where? Right where they're at. Doesn't mean we approve everything they do. Doesn't mean we accept what they do is right. It may mean that there are certain limitations to our fellowship and our relationship. There are certain boundaries. But doesn't mean we just ostracize them altogether? No. That's not biblical either. That's the other extreme. Are you, are you getting this kind of, this wrestling? It's, it's, a, it's a wrestle. It's not just this hardcore, just black and white, get rid of this person, never talk to them. No, just, just start tempering your conversations another way because every time you get with them, it's not your job to fix them. Because if you give a instruction to a wise man, he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So if there's someone who is pliable, someone who is teachable, they're wise. Scripture calls them wise just because of the position of their heart. They're humble. They admit, I don't know yet what I don't know. And so they're eager and willing and ready to learn. Even if what you say stings a little bit, that's okay. It's okay to speak the truth in love as long as they know you love them first and you're not just trying to fix them. You speak the truth to them, they'll receive it a lot better, and he will increase in learning. And then Scripture says this, and this is repeated throughout the book of Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Some translations, instead of use the word insight, they use the word understanding. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what is wisdom? Here's a simple definition of wisdom for you to use. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge, one that's anchored in love, one that's anchored in wisdom that's discerning well. Wisdom is correctly applying the things that you know. Wisdom is correctly applying this knowledge. So all the knowledge that the church in Ephesus had, if they would have correctly applied it, they would have had it tempered by love. They wouldn't have just done the thing that they learned and knew to do. It would have also been done with a love towards others and a love towards God. They wouldn't have lost that had they done it correctly. And then it would have been wisdom. It's a discernment. It's an understanding of how to use this. Because when I learn something, when I know something, or when God reveals something to me, what I do next is important. Is it going to be wise or is it going to be charged with emotion or is it going to be charged with me pr being prideful and arrogant? Because even something good that you hear at church or something good you read in the Bible or in some book study that you're doing, if you think that it's more ammunition to go and unload on your atheist coworker, that's the wrong use. It's not wisdom at that point. It's knowledge that you're using to try to go prove your point. Oh, I just heard a great Ravi Zacharias talk. I'm going to go fix my atheist neighbor. 
Well, is your atheist neighbor a scoffer? Do they just need to experience the love of God first? Or is that truth going to be that thing that you're just going to go unload on them in arrogance? Where's your heart at? What are you trying to accomplish? Now, there's nothing wrong with sitting down with someone and trying to be reasonable if they're willing to be reasonable with you. But if it's just going to turn into a fight, guess what? You're probably pushing them further away from God, and you're probably feeling like you did something great, and you're, you're some sort of martyr for the Lord. And you're prideful, and you'll miss out loving people in the process because Jesus didn't treat people that way. The people he actually spoke the harshest and hardest truth to weren't those who were outside of the family of faith. It was actually the people who were actually teaching it. That's another sermon for another day. Amen or oh mean. So if we know wisdom's the correct application of knowledge, then what, what does fear of the Lord mean? Because we sing songs about loving God, and we think about God in terms of like love, and that makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Yes, feel warm and fuzzy towards God. That's great, but also fear Him. It's not just respect. I, I, I always really get frustrated when people just say fearing the Lord means respecting God. No, it's, it is a healthy fear of the Lord because I'll give you a few scriptures. In Joshua chapter 1, when Joshua is going to inherit the leadership of the Israelites after Moses died, he pleads out to God because he's going, man, God, I, I don't know if I can do this. I feel just unqualified. And then the angel of the Lord shows up to encourage Joshua and tell him to be of good courage, not to be afraid. And he gives him some instructions. And when the angel of the Lord shows up, guess what happens? The scripture says in Joshua chapter 1 that Joshua fell on his face like a dead man. He thought, oh no, I am dead. I am dead. Oh no. And then what's the very next thing the angel of the Lord says after he's in that position? Don't be afraid. Here's the one that messes me up more than that. John, the disciple Jesus loved. The disciple that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he looks down and he tells John, you see my mother Mary, she's now your mother. Take care of her after I'm gone. Like he, he basically charges John as a part of his family to take care of Mary after his crucifixion. John was always there in the inner circle. He was in the, in the, the Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of Jesus' 12 disciples. I mean, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. But if I wrote a book of the Bible, I would say Derek, the disciple Jesus loved too. But I don't know. But anyways, John, in the book of John, he's regularly saying John, the disciple Jesus loved. But then in, in, in the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos, get this, on the island of Patmos, the same guy, he's an older man now. He's been exiled to the island of Patmos just to live out the rest of his days, and he was arrested and thrown there in exile for preaching the gospel. And then Jesus shows up to John to give John the revelation that he wrote the book of Revelation. And the very first scene that we kind of see opened up in the book of Revelation talks about how Jesus appeared to him. But this wasn't like Jesus of Nazareth walking around on the streets, disciple, Jesus love, let's hang out, let's eat some fish. This was like Jesus in his glorified state. And the Bible says John fell on his face like a dead man. Oh my goodness. There was like a, what is this? Uh, he thought, what's happening? What's going on? And we know he was afraid because the first thing Jesus says is, John, don't be afraid. 
The very first thing Jesus addresses is don't be afraid. So there's a positioning of our heart. I think that this fear of the Lord is a lot heavier than what we make it out to be. It's yes, it, He is God who, who brings us close. He's that loving Father. He's that, he's that one that we can approach boldly and in our time of need. He's the one who's loving and caring, yes, but He's also God who speaks and worlds are created. It's like don't forget who He is. Don't get so complacent with your idea of God that you forget to honor Him that you forget to walk in a holy fear of the Lord. I think that a simple definition of fearing the Lord could be this. Taking God very seriously. Like we don't forget He's God, right? The one who just spoke a word, who just breathes a breath, and the next thing you know, something that was absolutely, there were no raw materials for Him to work with. He, he created the raw materials from nothing because He's God. He spoke, and the universe was created. Yes, the fear of the Lord, taking God seriously, remembering He is God, and He is to be honored. He is to be respected, yes, but He is also to be walked in in, in that healthy fear of the Lord. Because if I take God seriously, I can have the foundation to then begin to correctly apply the knowledge that God has given me and that I have. If I don't take God seriously, I don't even have the beginning. Remember, he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the foundation. It's the starting place. I can't even start to correctly apply knowledge if I don't take God seriously. I have to start there. I have to start there. I have to anchor that. When I am struggling with my own emotions, when I'm struggling with my own thought life, when I'm struggling with my own wrestle and war with pride, with maybe the knowledge that I want to just spill out and fix someone or fix something, when I'm struggling with these things, it's often because I'm wrestling with my own thought life. I'm wrestling with my own things that I'm dwelling on, the things that my mind is regularly replaying over and over again in my mind. And I have to be careful because I know that if I spend too much time in my own head, if I spend too much time trying to fix it or, 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 or feeling like, oh, woe is me, and I just stay in that space, I know that I'm getting further and further away from both taking God seriously, and I'm also getting further and further away from loving my neighbor as myself. I'm also getting further and further away from loving God as I should. I'm also getting further and further away into self-reliance and self-dependence instead of trust and total dependence on Him. I begin to drift when I just stay in this space. I'm trying to fix the world. I'm trying to fix everybody's everything. And I'm sitting there trying to, I'm feeling all these emotions or I'm thinking all these thoughts. And if I'm not careful, it may lead me to do some stuff that may not be very wise and may not be very loving. And if it's not wise and if it's not loving, guess what, folks? It's not going to be helpful. It's probably going to be hurtful both to me and to others. Because if it's driven by arrogance or if it's driven by unhealthy emotions and if it's driven by pride, man, I have to really temper that. And I'm not just talking about relational stuff. I'm talking about any decision. You're going to make a decision to move. You're going to make a decision to take that job or not. You're going to make a decision whether to marry this person or not. 
You're going to make a decision on uh, how you're going to raise your children or how you're going to talk about certain things. All of these can be driven by those emotions and by knowledge. And emotions and knowledge are good if they're anchored in love and wisdom. I want to anchor those things because I should feel feelings. I, I, I should have knowledge. I should be able to understand. But I want to be able to correctly do it. So I want to make sure that I'm walking in love because if I don't have love, I could do all the right things and still be wrong. It's what 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us. And then if I'm not walking in the fear of the Lord, then, man, I'm not really doing a good job with the knowledge I've been given because I, I can't even begin to correctly apply that. I can't even begin to have a foundation of walking in a healthy way with the wisdom I've been given. So for me to balance those things in my life, I have to stay humble. I have to stay teachable. That's why at Word of Grace we regularly say we're willing to give up what we believe for the truth because it is Scripture that defines truth, not our ideas. It is God's Word. It is His Word that helps anchor us. But even the enemy could, could creep into our thought life and into our heart and we could even become arrogant with the Word of God if we miss out on loving God first. You see, the enemy is looking for a crack. He's looking for something just to, just to get in, to weave his way in, to try to take something that's meant to be good and to distort it and pervert it and get you to use it in an unhealthy way or to think in an unhealthy way or to operate in an unhealthy way. And it causes pride. It causes hard hearts. It causes people who are supposed to be known for loving one another to actually hurt one another, to actually inflict damage on one another. Why? Because we can be reckless. How can we be reckless? Because we're not anchored. When I'm not anchored, man, whatever the waves do, that's where I'm going, baby. <laughs> if there's not an anchor in place in the middle of the storm, then when the waves begin to swell and they begin to crash, then that boat is going wherever those waves want to go. And if I haven't built my house, if I haven't built my life, if I haven't built my values upon the solid foundation of the Word of God, and I'm not anchored with love and wisdom, then when the storm comes, my house is going to fall, my ship is going to get turned over, it's going to get taken wherever the storm wants to take it. And that's what the enemy would love to do in every one of you. The enemy would love to do that in all of our lives. And my hope and prayer is that we are passionate. Yes, let's be passionate people who are on fire for the Lord, who are full of zeal. But let's also be people who are wise. Let's have that balance of zeal and wisdom because we are anchored in love, because we're anchored in true wisdom, because we're a people who fear the Lord. We're taking God seriously. We're not just going to throw stuff out there haphazardly. We're not just going to just say the first thing that comes to our mind. We're going to actually be patient and we're actually going to listen. We're going to think about loving that person because we love God and we're going to also use knowledge that God's given us during those moments as well. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This has been a scripture that's really helped me during these times that we have found ourselves living in. And I hope that this text helps you as well. It's actually one of those scriptures that my mom made us memorize as kids growing up. There were like a few scriptures. And this is one that's just like deeply ingrained in me. Because mom used to take these little index cards and she used to write them on, write the scriptures on them. And she used to put them by her bed or put them on the mirror in the bathroom or put them in the car or whatever. And these, this was one of those that mom used to regularly have us recite 
and ingrained. So it's, it's in me, but, but I'll tell you something funny about that. I've known this scripture uh, since I was a little kid, but I really hadn't thought about it much, to be just real honest with you, until probably the past three, four months. And I have regularly been reciting the scripture because, folks, there is power in speaking the word of God. And I speak that word of God because I need to hear it. I don't just need to think it. I need to speak it because I want to speak and I want to hear myself saying it. And maybe the first time I don't believe it and I say it again. Maybe the second time I don't feel it and I just keep saying that. I'm saying, yes, Lord, that is true. That's right. Thank you, God, for that scripture. Thank you, God, for that. And this is one of those texts that I found myself speaking out a lot lately. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this is Paul actually on the defense of the validity of his ministry. And Paul is having to defend where people are trying to come in and criticize. And he's trying to show them, no, he's anchored in the gospel. He's teaching them the gospel. Now he's teaching them even more through his defense in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's start reading this in verse 3 and we'll read through verse 5. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and every thought taken captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. The version that I memorized as a kid said it like this, and I think it may be New King James. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's NIV, something like that. But it says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in the Spirit. We cast down every imagination and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Our thoughts can run away with us, which means that the more I allow myself to stay in this imagination land and I allow myself to continually hit repeat over and over again on certain situations and I'm trying to fix those situations. You know, like when you're anxious about having a confrontation with someone and you're trying to forecast and kind of imagine how it's going to go in your role playing in your mind. What are you doing? You're trying to control an outcome. You're trying to control a situation. Scripture says to cast that stuff down. In other words, Scripture says don't do that destroy the crystal ball, stop trying to foretell the future, and stop trying to control and manipulate. Because anytime you've tried to think of the things that you were going to say to someone, when you actually sit down with them, you probably didn't say a whole lot of those things you sat there and worried about saying. And it didn't really go the way you had thought it was going to go in your mind. Or whatever the case may be, whether it's something you're worried about in the future, or whether it's something that maybe someone offended you, someone hurt you, you were upset about something. We'll do the same thing where we replay that over and over again in our mind. And then what happens? Things began to be amplified. Things began to get louder. Then maybe, oh yeah, and they said this. I forgot they said that. Well, now I'm mad about that. I didn't even remember they said that till I thought about it for two hours. But now that I've thought about it for two hours, they did say that. Or they did sit that way. And you know what they say about body language. If they sit away from you, there's something going on. There's definitely something going on. And now you've made up this whole story and you're angry about something and you've overanalyzed it. Why? Because you're unhealthy in your emotions. You're unhealthy in, 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 in the use of the knowledge that you have and you're using it incorrectly. 
and it's causing pain to you, and it's causing pain to other people. And we're missing it, folks. We're called to be representatives of Christ in this earth according to Scripture. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 and 21, Paul tells us how we are ambassadors for Christ. It's as if God himself were imploring through you for people to be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors. We're representatives of Jesus. We're containers of the truth. Yeah, there's some things you might have to say to people sometimes that are tough to say. But we have to do so with knowledge and wisdom and love and truth and in a healthy emotional state. Because what you fill your mind with influences your behaviors and influences your decision making. So when you begin to imagine those things, when you begin to try to control, you have to cast those things down. I've been doing this lately, and can I tell you, it's been freeing for me personally. I'm a person who my entire life, just to be real vulnerable with you for a moment, my, my entire life, I kid you not, I've struggled with anxiety. I've struggled with nervousness. I've cared too much about what people thought about me. And I wanted to make sure I was coming across a certain way and want to make sure I was being heard and understood. And then even after I would talk to someone, I would worry about it and have knots in my stomach. And I've lived in torment my entire life. I, I thought, honestly, as I got older, it would just kind of go away. Like I would grow up and I would grow out of it. But that wasn't the case. It actually got worse as I got older. And I began to get depressed thinking, what's wrong with me? Why, why am I feeling this way? What's, what, what, am I broken? You know, it seems like everyone else is so confident and here I am, this insecure person. And the Lord showed me through this text that my mother instilled in me as a child that I have been spending too much time in vain, wrong, unhealthy imagination. And it's causing unhealthy emotional responses and it's an unhealthy pattern. So what do I have to do? My weapon is not a, a carnal weapon. It's not a natural weapon that I fight this with. It's a spiritual thing. And that's what Paul was saying. Just like God showed me, you're, you're fighting a spiritual battle, so you have to use spiritual weapons. What is the spiritual weapon then? It's my, my, it, it's my faith. It's the faith that God has given me. It's speaking the truth and, so that I can hear it and my, my, my brain is responding to that. It's lighting up, understanding. Oh, yeah, this is becoming real to me now. And here's what I started doing. And this is just what God's doing with me, all right? When those imaginations start to creep up and those emotions start to stray, I say, no, uh-uh, I'm not going there. And I'll say it out loud. Like, you got to be careful doing that riding a motorcycle down the road. You, you don't want to sing too loudly or talk too much to yourself because... You know, swallow a June bug or two. Unless you're hungry, then it's okay. But, you know, I'll be driving down the road, and I have about a 30-minute commute to get to work. And on my commute, a lot of times I'll be in the car, and all of a sudden I'll start thinking about something i got to deal with, right? And I'll start getting nervous about it. Then I'll start getting worried about it. Or I'll think about something someone said. Oh, man, I'll start getting nervous about it. start worrying about it. And I go, no. I'm casting down that imagination. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to feed that. I'm not going to let that thing grow in my heart and in my mind. And, I just, and, and God, it's, it's like this, you guys. I kid you not. It's like if there were a cartoon thought bubble above my head and someone took a pen like they do in like cartoons and they just popped it. And God just given me. I'm just going, no, I'm not going to dwell on that. The weapons of my, warf of my warfare, the spiritual warfare, they're mighty in God. They're mighty in the spirit. 
I cast down that imagination in Jesus' name. No, not, I'm not going to dwell on it. And it'll try to come back and I'll say no. I'll say no in Jesus' name. I'm not, I'm not going to think on this thing. The enemy's trying to plant thoughts. The enemy's trying to get me to dwell on things. And I said, no, I'm not doing this. I want to be healthy. I want to be anchored. Lord, help me. And I'll, I'll pray, God, help me to be anchored. Help me to be healthy. Can I tell you I found so much freedom in that? And then it, it just came alive to me. Wow, God, you are, you, you are the ultimate supreme authority over my thoughts. You are the ultimate supreme authority over my emotions. You are the ultimate supreme authority over everything that's happening, God, to where whatever's going on in this world, I don't need to be afraid. Whatever's happening around me, I don't, I don't need to be fearful. I don't need to let fear take the wheel of my life. I, I, I don't need to let anxiety dominate my days any longer because I've been set free in Christ. And I have to begin to see myself in Christ as a free person. And if I see myself as one who Christ has set free, I am no longer obligated to operate and think like I did before I knew Christ. I'm now a son of God. Amen, church? And if I'm free, Scripture says I'm free indeed. I am really, truly free. So take God seriously and remember the gospel and renew your mind. Scripture talks about this. We need to think in line with the way God wants us to think. And that comes through that washing of the water of the Word of God. That comes through us being people who are diligent to, to invest Scripture on the inside of us. So when the enemy wants to come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against him. You've got to invest those things in you. Just like when someone is trained to do something, you never know when you're going to need that training in that moment. But when that moment arises... That training kicks in because there's been something invested. I know how to handle this situation. I know what to do in this moment. And you may forget for just a second, but the Holy Spirit's so good. He's such a good teacher, and he brings back to your remembrance the things you need to know, the things that are godly, the things that are placed on the inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is there with you to help you. So connect with others in Christ-centered community, people of faith who also love God, that will help you to have healthy influences in your life, both through Scripture, both through Christ-centered community, because we need to learn how to discern healthy emotions from unhealthy ones. We need to learn when to speak and when to be silent. We need to learn to respond, or even if we should respond, or how to respond. We need to learn these things. We need to grow in these things, because sometimes you're being really foolish, and the Bible says that even a foolish man seems wise when he doesn't open his mouth. Sometimes we don't need to always just speak out loud. Sometimes we do. And we need the Scripture, the Holy Spirit, and godly counsel to help us to know when to speak, what to do, how to navigate, how to respond. So I want to correctly apply the knowledge that I have. I want to correctly navigate emotions so I don't get caught up in the pressure of fear. So I don't get caught up in this anxiety that our, that, that our world is feeling. So I don't do damage when I think I'm doing good. So I don't act foolishly and hurt my Christian witness. And so I don't do damage to other followers of Jesus or, or those who, who, who don't know Jesus yet. That I'm a healthy witness and a healthy ambassador of Christ. Love and wisdom anchor knowledge and emotion.
love and wisdom, anchor knowledge and emotion. So God, help us do these things. Help us to be anchored in the gospel. Help us to be anchored by remembering what was done for us. Help us be anchored by remembering that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Help us to be anchored remembering what happened to Jesus should have happened to us, but instead Jesus took our place. Help us to remember the weight of the cross. Help us to remember the grace that we did not deserve, but we were given it freely as a gift. That the mercy of God is new every morning. Help us to remember your, your patience and your kindness that should lead us to repentance. Help us be stirred. Help us be humbled. Help us to remember that you are great, that you are bigger, that you are more powerful than anything happening right now in our world, in our state, in our lives. And let us rest and trust in you and be people who are navigating these times with wisdom and with love, with a peace that passes all understanding that is actually guarding our heart, that's actually guarding our mind in Christ Jesus. Lord, your word is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's dividing between soul and spirit. It's helping us to discern between thoughts and emotions and what is of God and what is not. Between the spirit and the flesh because as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Help us to walk in this today. In Jesus' name, amen.